Welcome back to the Disaster Tough Podcast. I'm your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. A little backstory here. I let Pete Gaynor know that I was going to Portland in the summer. You might have seen that on social media. I met with Jake Shores, incredible guy. And Pete Gaynor, who's been on the show multiple times, former head of FEMA, said, hey, they have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful director, uh, Shot Ahmed, and uh, you really got to have lunch with him. I used to work with him on the East Coast. He's now on the West Coast, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But Shad's perspective is uh, it really just nails it. I was like, all right, cool. Like, if Pete Gator gives that heads up, then it's probably, you know, right. So Shad and Jake and, uh, you know, uh, his deputy, Shad's deputy, we all go out to uh, lunch together. And everything Shad is saying, I'm just like, check, check, check. I mean, the guy is just uh, just really the tip of the spear when it comes to emergency management and really trying to figure things out. And he's implemented a lot of really great things there in Portland. And so I asked him in his very busy schedule in Portland, plus he's a new dad, so you got to give him that that like on uh, social media or otherwise. But uh, I asked him to take some time to come onto the podcast. And so without any further ado, Director Shad Amen, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John, thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Yeah, I, when we had lunch, you know, I, I, I would consider myself um, sometimes unique in the perspective of emergency management because like on this podcast, I'm calling out a lot of things where I'm hoping that the field can really attach to. I'm trying to keep it positive, but essentially I think we can get better. And um, it, there's so many different directions where we could head but yet we have constant, constant scope creep. And when you were sharing some of those similar ideas on uh, on that uh, outside bench, I was like, first of all, that food was amazing. Um, you know, I got to go back for that. But Absolutely. I was like, hey, you know, Pete, Pete's guy, Shad, like the, the three of us were really starting to connect. Maybe we can do a future podcast with the three of us. But just for like the sake of everyone's situational awareness here, I mentioned you're on the East Coast. You're now the director in Portland. Can you guy? Can you give just like a really brief background about your work history? Yeah. So I uh, actually most of my career was in the Northeast. I've been in a lot of different emergency management settings. I've been in higher education. Been in public health. I've worked at the state, local, regional, county levels. So uh, really a lot of different perspectives uh, coming into this. But as you said, West Coast, East Coast. Even though I've had all those different perspectives, geography was a new dimension for me. Sure. I mean, my real first EM job, I did like uh, volunteer stuff and I was like a whatever at the Red Cross, whatever in Utah. But my first like real EM job was at a healthcare in Washington, D.C. And when I went out to Sacramento, uh, it was totally two different perspectives. Right. And different concerns even. Right. Um, yeah, so talk about that for a second. East Coast versus West Coast. What were the, the similarities and differences for you? Yeah. So as you kind of mentioned, the different concerns really drives what we focus on. And so I'll, I'll put it this way, uh, and I always go to this kind of uh, statement, it's all about the hazard profile. Mm -hmm. You know, the East Coast, we're 
you know, more frequency of emergencies, disasters. We've had less time to focus on the blue sky days. And so we haven't really built as much resiliency or community resiliency as we have been able to on the West Coast. So on the West Coast, it's the opposite. You know, the less frequent disasters, at least historically, we're kind of changing now. Uh, that has allowed us to build a strong resilience uh, program uh, within the West Coast EM function. So, yeah, it's it's the, it's the kind of the opposite. We haven't had a lot of the response uh, experience to build uh, processes and culture around response. We've done mostly resilience mm -hmm. programming. So what I'd love to do is kind of bridge the two and build a strong uh, program on both areas. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue in collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. If you served in the military, you've probably worn Proper Apparel. Proper Apparel is now reaching out to first responders and those who love the outdoors. Check out Proper Apparel from the outdoors to the EOC, wear proper. Okay, let's jump back in. So you are not a Biggie Smalls or Tupac of emergency <laughs> management. You're more of like shy town right in the middle. <laughs> We're going to find the middle ground. Absolutely. Best That's of both worlds. That's awesome. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing, I, I don't know, we could talk about this for a little bit, but I had done a lot of hurricane responses and mm. tornadic, to be honest, but hurricanes are brutal for the fact that every single item in your house you have been like wipe clean wipe clean wipe clean to try to see what you can salvage and when i went out to the napa wildfires and it was coffee park specifically it was it, for me it looked like a nuke had gone off everything was completely gone they're trying mm. to through the ashes to find heirlooms or otherwise when you're looking at like disaster types you know the east coast focuses so much on weather and and there is that weather component obviously on the west coast but I think of like volcano eruptions. I think of earthquakes and wildfires is definitely weather caused or weather related in some aspects, but it's more of a, you know, geological um, impact than otherwise. So when you're looking at these different things, what, I want to say what keeps you up at night, but are there differences for you in how you not just mitigate response, but you prepare for response because of the scale is so different and the, this type is so different? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's uh, the scale, it's the experience, it's the, you know, the, the profile, not just of the hazards, but also the communities as well. You know, I think with uh, whether it's hurricanes on the East Coast or whether it's the, you know, volcanoes, earthquakes, things like that on the West Coast, the communities are really kind of prepared for that. But the difference is, again, I'll go back to the frequency. Earthquakes and volcanoes are not as frequent, in, on sure. the, even though they are the kind of the, the those kind of natural hazards we look for. Uh, you don't have a lot of uh, community experience with those. So we do have to focus more still on that resilience piece to kind of remind and keep within the public's mindset that this is something that could still happen. Yeah, because the timetable is so wide, what is like the day-to-day -day that you focuses on, focus on most on the West Coast? 
Yeah. So again, going back to, you know, we've had a lot of uh, uh, time and experience in building resilient communities. So it's a lot of community outreach. You know, it's a lot of making sure emergency preparedness, emergency management is at the forefront of everyone's minds because it's easy to forget. You know, we have a lot of folks who, uh, you know, have gone a good portion of their lives on the West Coast without experiencing something like that versus the East Coast. You know, the hurricanes, the snowstorms, blizzards, nor'easters, we had them in the Northeast, you know. Those are those are regular occurrences. So we don't always have to remind people. We're more focused kind of on the response side of things over there. So we just want to make sure that we don't let people forget that there are some hazards here that could impact their livelihoods. Well, that's a good call out because I think about like Buffalo, New York, and um, when people get used to it, that's the other that's the other side of the coin, right? Like they're so used to snowstorms that they think they are very resilient and uh sometimes arrogant sometimes you know this or that and you know we had i think it was like 30 plus people die in uh, uh buffalo new york there was um there was an assessment done a year after buffalo so we're coming up on that year mark and uh they've asked you know reporters have asked what have you done differently in uh, in terms of the planning side of um you know snowstorms and there wasn't really a lot of changes and that 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 gets me concerned versus that that west coast mentality gosh beautiful weather absolute beautiful weather all the time and so you think about it you do you do not think about it in terms of like the day-to-day of like portland uh you know there's portland's been on the news quite a bit in the last couple years of incidents that have been happening portland's complexity um you know, I, there's what, there's multiple bureaus, right? And there's, there's interagency uh, requirements there. How does the emergency management arm in Portland operate within those spectrums of, you know, uh, news events that have been happening all the way through uh, homeless camps, through just the planning cycle? You're talking about resiliency of a population, but it sounds like it's really complex in Portland. How do you operate through that? Yeah, it's it is certainly complex here in Portland, but honestly, it's also complex in many other large urban areas. Whether you're in the Northeast, whether you're in the South, whether you're in the you know the West Coast, it's a uh, it's just a, we have to navigate things a little differently than we had in the past. You know, in the mm-hmm. past, we've had a lot of time to kind of in between those emergencies, in between those disasters. That's changing, John. You know, we've got uh, more frequent emergencies. We're having to ramp up. We're having to activate. We're in these constant cycles of activity activations. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's something that we're, we, we need to get used to. We need to kind of prepare for in a different sense. Uh, you know, your call out for the, the kind of the inter-bureau structures within the, within Portland, that's changing too. Uh, as we uh, move into 2025, our structure of government will be changing to kind of be more um, coordinated, consolidated. Uh, but it's allowed us just like the public, we've allowed uh, the kind of a little bit of that mentality where we're not always thinking about emergency preparedness first. And so that's something that city leadership and city uh, agencies have recognized and we know we need to kind of evolve for the future. So we're in the middle of kind of conversations about how that might work, how we move more towards in a traditional emergency management model uh, and adopt some of those things. Like I said, you know, East Coast, West Coast is a little different. East Coast, we've had a little bit more of that experience with response. And so we need the East Coast to learn a little bit more about building community resilience. And we need the West Coast to uh, gain from the experience of the response side from the East Coast. So that's why I say I think we're 
trying to merge those two uh, kind of cultures together here now. Well, culture changes, uh, you know, from the business perspective, at least, is one of the most difficult things I've had to deal with. And we've been trying to do that on podcasts, uh, all the podcasts, really probably talked about the culture of emergency management, where it's been, where it's going. Portland's lucky to have somebody from the East Coast who's been in a lot of responses who can, what I would say is like the thinking is the first line of defense, like your ability to think, right? And so if you have all that experience bringing that there, dealing with a, a population that may not be used to it and trying to build those relationships. Can you, if, if, you know, I have lots of audience members on the West coast, a lot of them are just getting out of college. If you want to help set them up for success, and this is kind of getting to later, but I think it matches well for right now. If I move to the West coast for a job in EM right now, what are like specifically maybe in your, if you're the new boss, right? Literally you are the boss. So if they're going to work for you, how do they be successful in Portland? What should be their top priority for learning what should be their number one concern and um so priority to learn number one concern and uh how do they find success working for you uh you know i'll start actually first going back a little bit to something you you said you know you said they're oh they're lucky to have someone kind of from the response side and i'll say on the flip side i'm actually lucky enough to work with folks who have a lot more of the experience on the resilience side Good because answer. we really need those two ends to to work very closely and work very closely together so um i you know what i would say is it to be successful in this uh you know this is something where we need to learn from each other so everyone brings a unique uh, experience Everyone brings their own background, their own, uh, uh, you know, life experience, as well as professional skills to the table. So we all have to learn from each other. And me, you know, even though I'm as a as a boss, as a leader, I'm also learning from others. So it's always great to hear, you know, new ideas coming from from folks, especially, like you said, just graduating. You have different concepts, different, uh, you know, things that you've, you've seen maybe and that maybe we need to try differently. So I, I would say to answer your, the last part of that question. Uh, to find success, always learn to use your voice and use it to advocate for what you believe is right. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to push back. I've, I've had many circumstances where I go into a conversation and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know exactly what I'm going to do here. And someone comes along and says, hey, uh, what about this? And always keep an open mind, you know, to, to those as, as a, whether you're a leader, whether you're, you're leading within an organization, wherever you fall, kind of, it's always important to keep an open mind and, and use your voice. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what I would say to that. Yeah. So if I'm thinking through that um, and, and way to be a good boss, by the way, uh, the humility of like, hey, I'm also working with incredible people. And like I said, I, I don't know too many of your staff, but I know Katie. And so I think she's great. And, um, you know, if she's any indication, then um, you have a you have a great team there. But Definitely. what I yeah, absolutely. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is like um, one of the one of the issues I had when I was younger in my career is. There's just so many different avenues to dive down to. And and some I wouldn't say it felt overwhelming for me. It was kind of exciting for me. I felt like I could go in any direction I wanted. At the same time, um, now that I lead a team and I, I have interns and the whole deal, sometimes they get, I want to say again, I don't want to use overwhelmed, but there's just a mountain of ideas where you could where you could start to uh go. And I would say just start. Um, however, Again, if you were going to start in the West Coast, what are some of the like not top priorities, the things you absolutely have to do in order to be successful out there? 
specifically? Yeah, you know, so I, again, I wouldn't say that there's a there's a difference in in that maybe between the East and the West Coast. I think really it's important to use your knowledge and uh, like as I, I go back to I know I said it before, but use your voice. Uh, you know, it's oh. something that I think. Uh, I, I started to do early in my career, but I do have a little bit of eh, maybe I should have done that sooner and advocated for some of the things that I knew was right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I worked in an organization when I started in EM. Um, it was coming out of a public safety, uh, you know, structure that did not have EM uh, historically. And so we were kind of the first EMs within that organization. And we were pushing the organization and pushing the jurisdiction at large to really mm-hmm. do things from a different perspective. And I remember remember having conversations with folks that I thought, man, these people have so much more experience. They've responded to so many more emergencies, different things over their career. You know, I I can't possibly, if I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I don't know about this, it's probably not right. And I just need to kind of shut up and and learn from others. And that's not always, that's not always true. You never know what you learn just by speaking up and saying something. And if you have a good team that's supportive, uh, you know, you'll have an environment hopefully where you can do that and, and, and learn as well as teach and educate others it sounds like uh do you like the show the west wing by any chance oh yes <laughs> oh my gosh you sound like jed bartlett right now president bartlett because he talks about hiring his best friend and su- surrounding himself with people who know more than him and um be, be teachable and yet he was you know phd himself and uh, it's one of my favorite shows of all time and um funny enough here at the readiness lab or doberman the same kind of approach has happened where uh, my intern who's 22, she is just a rock star. Her name is Maxine all the way through people like Zach Boris, who's really an expert in their craft. Everybody feels like they have a seat at the table and uh, that takes a lot of uh, focus in terms of a cultural setting to make sure you're able to retain that. Uh, one of the things that makes it easy on my end is the parent company, Doberman Emergency Management Group, that group, the we kind of instilled that as like almost like a roundtable approach. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a experience. And if you don't speak up, then you, we might be missing things as a team. So great call outs there. Yeah, for sure. I, I had a, in that same organization, I had uh, hired someone who we became very, very good friends. Uh, Josh mm-hmm. Manfredo is now a, a director of EM at another university. And, uh, you know, he and I had many of those moments uh, together where, you know, as as much as I brought him onto the organization, he he taught me a lot, too. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I learned from him and he wasn't afraid to say, hey, boss, I think you're wrong on this one. So mm-hmm. uh, very much appreciated that uh, that counter check. Yeah, it, um, so the the good bosses are okay with it. The great staff know when to do it, when know when not to do it too. Uh, there's uh, both skill sets for that uh, the audience member. If I was going to restart my career in emergency management, and I had to figure out where to start, n- the number one thing I do with all of my staff every time we get a new client is I make them learn every single hazard and the cascading impact of that hazard in that community. Mm-hmm. Number one. If, you know, when I was on the East Coast in Maryland, I knew nothing about sinkholes. And I met with Army Corps of Engineers. I met with USGS. I met with all these different groups. I I didn't have a geology background. And yet you fast forward like four or five months of just asking questions. And all of a sudden I knew so much about sinkholes. When you, when NCI was looking at uh, like new building structures, one of the things I asked about was sinkholes and uh, it led to a, a really cool conversation about where to put the building, where not to put a building and all this other stuff. 
And you fast forward a year from that, and one of their older parking lots had a sinkhole, and they uh, several cars had gone into this hole. They it wasn't twenty feet deep, but it was five feet enough to damage the cars. Mm. So you're looking at a situation where just just understanding where you're at, you can live there, you can work there, you might be working virtually across the country. It doesn't matter. Start with your hazards uh, and understand the cascading effects. And absolutely, absolutely. And I would actually take that a step further and broaden your definition of hazards. You know, EMs, we're being asked to do so many different things nowadays in so many different worlds. Mm-hmm. Over my career, I've had to learn and uh, kind of get to be an expert. And I would say an expert, but not really, you know, in You're an fin- expert in my fin- book, finance, yeah. legal, human resources, IT, you know, public works, meteorology, everything mm-hmm. is thrown at us. And so my advice to new EMs always is, uh, is this learn something new every day of your life and every day of your career and you'll never regret it don't be afraid to broaden your own horizons because you'll never know when we'll need that kind of knowledge so it's always important to understand the ones that we work with and we work with so many different disciplines uh, that it's important to show that you're interested you know and you, you care about what they do too this is the ultimate piggyback because you piggyback off of me now i'm going to piggyback off of you the 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 greatest advice I got from a mentor was don't be afraid to say yes, even if you don't know the job, because you can mm-hmm. learn the job. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I was afraid several times that I got pigeonholed into different jobs. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm running this small company and data science and GIS and operations and planning and even logistics and healthcare, like yourself, like you, you talked about working in all the different fields. And yet, it, that accumulates into something that allows you to think outside what people think is the box. And emergency management right now has a real problem with um, continual scope creep. I don't know if that's a problem. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, being well-rounded and not being afraid to say yes to new opportunities um, you know, will help you become a better emergency manager for sure. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we become the fix it for everything. And, you know, in, in some cases that can be scary and that can be concerning. Uh, but I also think it, it's in some aspects broadens our own horizons and allows us to kind of push our own boundaries. I've learned so much from doing some of those random things that I, mm-hmm. I don't regret it necessarily. You know, it's just another uh, tool in our toolbox for something in the future. And we build connections. EM is all about networking. You build those connections that you can call on the next time you're asked to fix something completely random. You can mm-hmm. say, hey, I might know somebody that can help with this. So it's always a good thing to expand that network. What is the opposite of Wreck-It Ralph? Fix-It Shod? <laughs> the Fix-It Shod of Emergency... Oh, I think we just got a podcast title, Fix-It Shod of uh, Emergency Management. But <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Mm. The, the future of emergency management. Um, I've talked at, like like I said, uh, before we start recording, kind of at nauseum about what emergency management is and where it should be going. We're kind of getting into our fir- third phase. I love that um, that article by Pete Gaynor. I've talked about that a bunch where he talks about we're getting into our third phase. In order to professionalize the field, I think we have a lot of professionals, but it's not a professionalized field. In order to get to that next level or that next phase, if you will, what are we missing and what do we need to focus on? 
You know, so there's there's a couple of things I would say. You know, we like I said, we've been called to fix literally everything, but we're also not recognized for what we are. And uh, there's a there's a new program that FEMA's doing. Uh, it's a Vanguard Crisis Leadership. Uh, it's it's not a traditional program in the sense of uh, like you don't go through and like learn some things. It's it's more about working together with a group of leaders from across the, the, the country. And the cohort that I was in, we, we talked about this in my group and we said EM really needs to be recognized as a function of national and economic security in a way that we're not seeing right now. We're seen as the oh, it's not broken yet. It's not a disaster, right? So so we don't need EM. We need to be on the forefront of hazard uh, monitoring, threat and hazard monitoring, not just the planning piece or the mitigation, like, oh, we need a grant for something called EM. We really need to be integrated into the fabric of all hazards, whole community processes, which we're not really in a way that we should be at the moment. It needs to be, we need to be recognized as kind of like an enterprise-wide function of of all of all hazards, whole community, uh, you know, um, uh, organizational uh, culture because we're not we're not really always integrated in we we sometimes are we're like oh yeah you know uh, there's a storm thought. coming we don't have a you know meteorologist great that's EM so EM becomes the well we're the weather people mm. you know but we're not then also the uh, you know what is it wildfire threat is it a uh, you know the threat from from hazardous materials or is it a threat from criminal activity or potential criminal activity or terrorist activity we're not seen quite as a member at the table and we really need to get there but i think even before we get there and i know you you've talked a little bit about what is em and you know without going down that rabbit hole uh one thing that we're missing here is the advocacy for uh, what that is. You know, we, we've talked about advocacy. We've talked about lobbying. You know, if you go to IAEM, there's a lot of conversation about that. There's, you know, yeah. hey, we should be pushing for, but what is it that we do? We haven't even agreed on that ourselves. And so I think we really need yeah. to think about that for the future. Uh, my good friend and colleague, uh, Justin Cates, who just got sworn in as the IAMU USA uh, president, uh, we had a good conversation about that. We see it as a critical need for our profession. And I'm hoping during his term here in this upcoming year, uh, we're able to really hone in on that. Hey, we're going to do a quick pause X to thank our sponsors, L3 Harris, Proper Apparel, Impulse, Doberman Emergency Management, and all those subscribers who reach out to us and give us a donation to help us keep us going. Let's jump back in. It's good to hear that um, good people, I, oh, I have opinions on IAEM so much. Um, and like, there, man, there's, just, there's a lot you're saying there that I both agree with and maybe I would have a, a couple counterpoints. Part, go for uh, it points but, but yeah essentially emergency managers man the point that like really like gets me and then i'm on the same page with you on is if we as an industry can't define who we are no one outside of who we are is going to know what we do and Amen. therefore they will never ask <laughs> right yeah. like and so, okay, I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it again because I'm going to drive this. I'm going to foot stomp this till the end of time. Emergency services is the protection of life, property, and continuity of operations. And when I use the protection, I use the actual English definition. And my example is if I put people in a storm from a hurricane, I'm, I'm not going to shoot the hurricane. I'm protecting them from a hurricane, right? So protection of life, property, uh, continuity of operations. Emergency management, a very simple definition is emergency management is the strategic coordination of 
emergency services. Coordination Ooh. is more than a planning. It's more than project management. It's more than talking. It's yes. more than communicating. It's coordinating all that, all those pieces. Yeah. I don't have to be an expert in terrorism or Seaburn or in a geological things, but I know where to go to find out the answer and I can yeah. make sure those people are at the table. Yep. We're using a lot of words in our industry that our partners, our stakeholders, whatever we want to call them, don't use because they use the English dictionary, right? <laughs> like we say these things like in emergency management, one of my biggest problems with government emergency management, and you, you might have to deal with this a little bit um, or a lot of it. I don't know, is I, I've gone into community after community after community in disaster, right? I, I, a lot of my experience is response. And people are like, okay, now it's time to use the hazard mitigation plan so we can get the FEMA grant after the thing has already happened. Or uh, even worse, um, gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to talk about this forever, but the best preparedness is not the 72-hour kit. It's firefighters teaching children, don't have your parents smoke in bed. That was the number one fire mitigation and preparedness that we've seen in our country. Emergency managers can't go into schools like that. They don't have that kind of persona. They need that kind of persona. At the same time, when you're talking about like things matter, how many emergency managers are integrated with urban planning? Yes. Right? The fabric. Like why are like why does an emergency manager they push back on GIS, they push back on analytics, they push back on building codes, and yet those are the things that save lives. Earthquake yeah. in Japan, 9.0 earthquake didn't kill anybody. It was a tsunami that nobody could stop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're, 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 no, you're 100% right. We, and we just defined what we, so you called that emergency services. Versus and emergency we just, management. Yeah. And we defined that here within Portland for the kind of the new structure of government that we're going. We talked about public safety and what does that mean mm. for us? And we actually did exactly that. We added on not just life and property, but we also, and, and operations, but we also added on, uh, you know, the, the environment, you know, because basically sure. the built environment or, or natural environment is a part of what we do too, right? We protect mm. from wildfires, but we don't, you know, it may or may not affect property there. So yeah, we did that. And you're right. It's the coordination of that. Mm. But unfortunately, as a, as a, not just EM industry, but also writ large government in general, private sector, anywhere really, the lack of understanding of what that is leads EM to be drawn into all of these different conversations and sometimes not in the right conversations. So we're kind of having both problems because we're not at the table sometimes until things are yeah. broken. So what you just said is is 100% right, but I'll broaden that a little bit if I can. I'll push back sure. on, on the... It's not just a coordination of emergency services. I really think it's an enterprise-wide function of executive leadership. So it's all inclusive, inclusive of whatever your organization organization is. If you're government, that might also include public works. It might also include cybersecurity. It might mm -hmm. also include public health, things that maybe we don't traditionally consider emergency services. Ooh. And and similarly in the private sector, wherever you work in emergency management, this is why I truly believe it is a function of executive leadership and, and shouldn't be buried necessarily as a function. I'm not talking about organizational structure, sure. but that sometimes follows. It shouldn't be buried or pigeonholed into just emergency services or public safety. Okay. So I actually think we're saying the same thing. And the reason why I think we're saying the same thing, uh, Zach Borst does this thing where if a friend says red and he says blue, but they're talking about the same thing, they'll say purple. Yeah. When my In my version of emergency services, I think of all emergency support functions. Got it. 
yeah. linemen who get up and restore power, guess what? That's an emergency support function, therefore emergency service. Sure. Funny thing is, outside of our like niche field, when people Google, I need an emergency service for my home, they it does fire police ems don't doesn't pop up it's plumbing right it's your utilities <laughs> right they all call themselves an emergency service because they're 24 24 7 mm. helping people and so i actually think we're talking about the same thing in sure. maybe different context an emergency management piece sometimes sometimes i disagree with myself but basically i think the best emergency management capabilities is leading project management specifically for hazards and um i i, I kind of got away from like the the disaster life cycle i've been saying that for a while or the five areas of preparedness because you don't prepare to respond eventually you do respond so that doesn't make sense but i just say left of boom boom right of boom mm -hmm. and i i think emergency managers need to be completely integrated so that we don't have boom but if boom happens, we're already a member of the team. Exactly. So exactly. Here's, here's my big question to you then, because I've been really struggling with this. I'm a design company that happens to do emergency management. Like Apple's a design company that happens to do technology. That's the way I view our company. If I Google uh, I, law enforcement, if I, uh, emergency, uh, or sorry, fire, if I even say FBI, whatever, if I Google that and click on images, there are image after image after image of the branding. And, and the way I think about this is if I covered up the Nike symbol on a shoe, which is based in Portland, shout out to you guys. If I covered up the Nike shoe, everybody still knows that's an Air, Air Jordan, right? That's branding, not just logo. I don't know if emergency managers are able to... I want to say uniform, but nobody knows who we are. If we close, if we cover up our, you know, crappy old logos that, you know, we're all forced to use that nobody wants to use anymore. And how do we create that brand as a, as a function of like, even if you Google finance, people have an image of finance, doctors, mm -hmm. accounting, whatever it may be. But if you ask people, what's an emergency manager, they could think, um, you know, fix it shot. Or they could think the doomsday prepper with no experience, yeah. or they could think of somebody who does cert, or they think the yeah. the fire the retired fire captain who might be amazing, but you know, or you could think of somebody with a CEM who's never actually done the job before, zing. But <laughs> you know, like that that's that's where I'm at. How do you how do you deal with that as a director in Portland? Yeah, you know, so this is this is a, a national kind of uh, scope problem. I mean, we are having an identity crisis in emergency mm -hmm. management. You know, I've worked with some great people. I've had some great leaders who said to me like, oh, yeah, that's the emergency planner. And it's like, well, no, it's the emergency manager. And there's a difference, right? It's not yep. just a planner. Or you'll have someone's, I mean, I've literally seen a job description that said, this is for an emergency management director, but, it, but, but don't be confused. It's not for emergency response. This is only to create the plan and then it's a temporary position. You know, it's like people That's who not, just don't. So what we yeah. really need to do as a profession, I think, is is understand, like you said, the brand is important. But I'll go a step further and add a dimension to that. Brand is more than a logo, right? Like, like what you said is, you know, with with finance, it, there's a logo, but people know what it is. And we don't have a brand as EM. And that's what I hope that through organizations like IAEM and NEMA that we can tackle that because 
we can't do it on ourselves, uh, you know, just within Portland, we're trying. And we've had great conversations. A lot of it starts with the leadership. And I think I'm fortunate in the city of Portland, we have great leadership that supports really driving the conversation at that executive level for emergency management. And so that's kind of, that's been my uh, goal is to educate leadership across the, my career. I've done that. And, and here in Portland, we have leadership that really gets it and wants to advance emergency management. But that's, that's the only way to do it is to get leaders to understand what is emergency management so that they don't, you kind of hinted at it, but yeah. when you put out a job description, you're not looking, are you looking for the retired fire captain? I mean, hey, like you said, it could be amazing, could be great in emergency management. Maybe they've acquired those skills, yeah. but maybe they haven't, you don't know. So yeah. Uh, yeah, really important, I think, for us to to advocate, but also educate our leaders. The ones who are hiring the emergency managers, the ones who have oversight over it, really need to know what emergency management is. And it can't be, uh, you know, uh, something that is comes out when there's an emergency and then we have to deal with the aftermath afterwards. There's a lot of people talking about it and I've moved beyond it. I want to do something about it. The podcast is one way to do something about it. Talking to people like you, the readiness lab, you know, if I can toot my own horn here for a second, everybody here, like this big group, like we all think the exact same way as you. And we're like, okay, there's going to be a lot more people who are going to have their endless presentations about trying to change the definition or whatever they think it is. But like who's actually doing something about it and uh we basically came to the realization that and again i, I don't want to make this like an advertisement because it's not that but we were like okay like let's just show people so we created like the most intensive training humanly possible that we could to show what emergency management was all the responsibility none of the authority because that's really that strategic core. and then we invited people who are not emergency managers We've invited generals. We've had generals there. We've had heads of federal agencies there. We've had NATO partners there. We do all this stuff. And, uh, you know, that's a dynamic populations course. And they walk out of there. We're talking about security, evacuations, mass care, medical transport and triage, public messaging. But none of them are doing the job of security. They're not evacuating people. They're, you know, they're not doing the mass care. They're, they're trying to figure out all those people. And specifically, we use stadiums because we don't want them to have legal authorities. We don't want them, the firefighter in the room, to be like, well, I'm just going to call the EMAC. Like, you don't have that responsibility. You're representing a private company. How are you going to do emergency management? And then we actually put them through simulations to do that. We do like a, a Seaburn terrorist attack. And just like, you know, um, in terms of that, by the way, uh, I think in an HC, but I could be wrong. Somebody's going to correct me, but I think there's something like, eight to 12 injects in a 12 hour exercise, we do 108. It is constant, just like a real world event. And it's fun. And um, now that you've been on the show, then I'm going to get you to go for the next one. But um, the, the reality is like, we need to, if we believe this stuff, which you do, and I do, then we need to get to the point where we stop talking about it and start showing people uh not indoctrinate but maybe that's the right word indoctrinate people to what they really can do we are not effective in emergency management and the the way i know that is by my time at apple apple and google if you gave the function of emergency management over to a technology company i believe it would be revolutionized overnight because they would use data science right how many emergency managers are as duty as is assigned follow their gut, never look at a map. Like, and I'm not trying to discredit them. We're understaffed often, underpaid, 
And the people who are hiring us, whether it's at a big company or otherwise, often don't know what to do. So they don't know to give us that stuff. And they don't know what we do oftentimes too. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, you're you're right on there. I mean, I think we do need to educate folks and we need to work with leaders. And so that's great that you're doing some of that already. Yeah. But but I do think it's it's a it's a larger issue and it's not something that can be you know, we can do individually. It's not sure. something that I think we need to figure this out as a profession. I mean, if you think about it, every every other discipline out there, you know, like you said, more or less, we know what they do. And there can be differences, right? There are differences in how you do firefighting and how you approach law enforcement and how you approach public health and cybersecurity. But the general gist of it, you kind of know, right? It's a generic term. But people hear emergency management and they go all sorts of different directions with that. And so that is what I say is the identity crisis that we're in. I mean, Perfect. if you think about it, we we also have terminology that's all over the place, like you said earlier, but it's not just us. It's also others. I mean, you know, you look at cities and that go into financial bankruptcy that they appoint what they call an emergency manager. They mean it's the, you know, like a city manager that's in an sure. emergency. Then people get so confused. They're like, oh, that's what emergency management is so we need to really think about this and and i don't know if it's something that like i said we can do individually we really need advocacy from larger organizations to support the conversation at a higher level yeah well this is like the batman line well now we're two right yeah. um well shot thank you so much for you know i obviously we're both passionate about this i could talk about it forever i would love to have you come back on with pete sometime and we we can dive more into specifically how to do that from the national stage Obviously, I'm so grateful for the, you know, tens of thousands of people are listening to this podcast right now. That's one way to do it. There's definitely organizations. I love the networking piece of IAEM. The presentation piece we can all work on, but, the, you know, the, the, the networking is, is great. And I hope the more and more the, the, as the field gets out there, NEMA or otherwise, I had Erica Borneman on here twice. You know, these conversations are happening. Jeff Stern, I think, was, has been on here. The, the people who are involved, like yourself, who are leaders in the field, I applaud everyone for knowing that this is a problem and wanting to do something about that. I, I think you're doing great things in Portland. I was excited to talk to you. And uh, obviously, there was a reason why. Everybody knows it now. Shot, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Sean, for having me. <laughs> All right, everybody. If you got something out of this podcast, which you should have because it was awesome, if you're having an identity crisis right now, congratulations. We all are. We're working through that on this podcast. If you've done something about that in your local community or even on the national scale, if you presented at IAEM and you did well, I actually want to know about that. If you can uh, reach out to us on social media, give us that five-star uh, rating and subscribe. If you have a question for Shad or the field, please ask us. If it's something personal, I'm happy to forward that on to Shad. And uh, we will see you for the next one. Thanks. Hello, this is John Scardina, the founder of the Readiness Lab. I'm a big fan of George Siegel. George Siegel is a documentary filmmaker who's creating a new film called Built to Last, Buyer Beware. He is making a film that will help you and others learn how to protect your home against any incident. For those who've responded to lots of disasters like we have, we understand how critically important it is to protect your home against builders, insurance, incidents, what name you. This documentary, Built to Last, Buyer Beware by George Siegel is a great way to learn about this. You can support this cause and learn more about how you can protect your own home by donating to the film's cost. 
To learn more about this fundraiser, go to movetheworldfilms.org.